Hey, everybody. My name is Sean Pitcher. I am your host of Roots Podcast. Today we have on Garrett Apier. Um, Garrett is currently a high school track and field coach, uh, previously worked in the collegiate realm, uh, and then also has a very decorated background. He was a professional thrower, um, previously training at the U.S. Um, training Center. He was a three-time national shot put champion. Um, he was also a two-time finalist in the USA Championships as well. Um, one of the big reasons why I want to bring on Gary is, one, we have a relationship when we were together at Pittsburgh State, um, so I know him very well from there. But two, he's going to be able to give us a perspective, you know, not only from previously being an athlete um, and how it was from that realm, but also now he's on the other side of things when it comes to coaching. So he can give us both perspectives of um, both of those kind of different realms where he could talk about when he was an athlete previously and then now what it takes out to be a coach and how his being an athlete growing up and going into college and being at the level that he got to is making a difference now when it's transitioning that to the athletes that he works with. But Garrett, really appreciate you having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate the hell of an introduction. <laughs> um, so I usually always start out with, you know, give me the roots behind who you are. But I think through our conversation, uh, the viewers are going to very quickly find out who you are as a person um, by some of the top topics that we're going to discuss today. Um, so the one thing I, I wanted to start out with today is, you know, from your background, you grew up in a household where your father was a professional athlete, right? Um, he was a baseball player. So could we kind of start there and just give us some insight on how is it having a father that was a pro athlete and being able to have that kind of influence on you, you know, and you're, especially in your area where you were an athlete too? Yeah, I mean, I it it definitely showed a different level of, of dedication. Um to it to any craft really i mean he was he was watching videos he was training all night he would you know come home eat dinner be back at practice at 5 a.m um you know i didn't get to see him a lot he traveled across the country and i think you know it was normal for me because i grew up kind of around him doing that but when i got to you know doing sports for the first time i realized just how different his dedication was to most people and what it takes to be a professional and just having that as an example kind of, you know, showed me like, well, if you're going to do something, you better do it right. And the way to do it right has already been shown to you. So you need to follow that. Um, and unfortunately, it took a long time for me to have the, the, what's called the development <laughs> to, <laughs> to be able to adhere to that kind of standard. But I always knew where the standard was. And I feel like that gave me a big advantage. Like if I ever didn't do well at a, uh, you know, it was, I played football a lot when I was younger or tr even track when I was started doing that, like I kind of knew when I wasn't working hard enough to be upset, you know, which is probably not something you hear very often now, but, um, you know, I, I didn't like to blame other people. I always felt like I knew how hard I needed to train if I wanted to be good. And it was more of just getting myself to do it. And then when I got older, I learned about, you know, the nutrition side of things and the weight room side of things, you know, because I wasn't actually in the weight room with my dad. You know, I just knew the effort he put in, but I didn't know everything. So as I got older, I just the knowledge just kind of developed. And it was cool to get to talk to him about that stuff as I got older. And that was obviously a huge benefit. Do you do you feel like because was your dad, was he Hall of Famer? Am I correct there? Hall of Fame for the Royals. He missed the, the, the uh, Major League Hall of Fame by one vote, unfortunately. Oh, man. That, that uh, hurts. <laughs> do you do you feel like you're having a obviously like you said there there was a standard there do you feel like you were always having to live up to his standard or, or like you weren't able to get to that standard 
Or did you find as you kind of grew over time as, as being an athlete that you had to basically separate that self and just say like, he may be up here and I may never get up to here. And I just have to have my own standard for myself. I know I'm going to have to work really hard based off the examples and what he's put in front of me, but like, we're never going to be exactly one in the same. Yeah. I mean, he, he was really good about not, um, he never really wanted me to play baseball for one. He was always afraid that I was going to be compared to him forever. Um, so when I started doing like football and track, he was super excited because he was like, you know, that's your own, you know, sphere of influence. But um, I also didn't have that much pressure because he was like I said, he was gone a lot of the time. So he wasn't at a lot of stuff, but it was it was kind of hard to call him and be like, yeah, we lost or I sucked. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> he was just um, so busy all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, I would say it wasn't so much the pressure. I basically had to learn how to how to follow those standards on my own kind of without him because he just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean yeah I mean just having the example like most people you know I, I talk about especially when I'm coaching like going to failure for example like going to true failure you know I knew what that was from watching him do it like I'd seen him you know train or something before and I'd seen him get so tired that he was like crawling <laughs> like you know like just, just nothing left man going home eating a huge meal and then passing out on the couch like just complete exhaustion from training as hard as he could um and most people will never get to see that you know they don't know that that's where failure really is. And it's hard to find it, you know, until you get there yourself. And it took, it really took until college till I even understood it. I mean, I knew the example, but I'd never gotten there until I got to, I'd say my sophomore year at college was really the first time I'd ever pushed myself to that point. And if you'll notice in my performance from, from like sophomore, junior year to senior year, there was a massive improvement. And that's why, because I learned what it was like to train to failure um, and just matured from there. And and I think a couple points in there is, is one, you know, you see with a lot of athletes, children, they try to push them in the same manner or like want them to be, you know, at the same level they are. So I think it was really good on his part where he, he gave you a lot of the tools. He gave you a lot of good examples, but he sent he essentially lets you take your own path in the direction that you were going to go and wasn't forcing or pushing you to the point where then it made you not like doing your sport. Because I think a lot of times we see that with athletes where they'll have these parents that were in these professional levels or high levels and they want their son or daughter to be, you know, just as good as they were or even better if they could. But sometimes it gets to the point where now you're doing that in, you know, adolescence, teens, or maybe early twenties. And now the kid is burnt out because they're just like, I can't do it anymore. That That is a hard line to walk because, you know, yeah. I will tell you, I, you know, I responded in a kind of a weird way. Um, you know, when I wasn't being pushed, I kind of liked to push myself. And in fact, I hated when people would come down and hammer on me and stuff, even though I needed it. Um, it would almost push me away and make me want to try less. And so I, I do see that with a lot of kids now. And in fact, it's it's disturbing how often I see that now in other kids is that you push them real hard to do stuff. They kind of just shy away from it. Um, and I think a lot of that, a lot of that has just come from the way that we, that, that I guess we teach kids nowadays, you know, um, we're pretty, we're not nearly as strict as, you know, when I was growing up, man, people were still getting whooped in the classroom. So <laughs> I, I, we went from that to where we are now and I'm not condoning that by any means, but I'm just saying there's a, there's a different level, you know, kids haven't been pushed to that discomfort as much. Um, and I feel like the biggest development for me, uh, particularly when I went on the coaching side of things was how do I get these kids to push past their limits without making them want to quit, you know, right. and without getting on them so hard, like, just like I used to hate it when people would get on me, like, how do I motivate them 
to push past their limits themselves because that's really the best way. That's what helped me is I wanted to succeed because I knew where the bar was and I wanted to win. Um, how do you get these kids to want to do that without making them want to quit? And that's that's a tough line, especially nowadays. So what's what's maybe some strategies in that sense that you've you've utilized? Just because nowadays, I mean, you even see a lot of the college sports. If you look at college football, right, with the transfer portal, yeah. some, some kid doesn't like where he's at. Oh, I'm just going to transfer out and go somewhere else. So it's almost like we're fostering this environment where we're allowing kids like if it's too tough, then oh well, you have a way out. You can go somewhere else. It it is what it is. Or you know, I'll I'll pick something different. It's not a big deal. And if this person's a jerk to me, then I'll just transfer out somewhere else. But it's like then you're really not building any continuity because you're constantly going from place to place to place, and then you're really never facing the problem that's at hand, which is the challenge or the difficulty that's you know, coming at you. And it's like, if you're going to go to the pros, right, you've been a pro. <laughs> if you can't, if you can't deal with those challenging times where there's, cause I always tell, you know, a lot of athletes that work, I work with, right. Is progress never looks like this, right. It's not just oh. a straight line. It's you're going up. You might have a, a decline. You might go up again. You might have a decline. It's up and down. So if you can't deal with the downs and you, you only get excited and happy when you're at the highs, then you're going to have a real struggle getting to where you want to be from point A to point B. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was, I would say that was my biggest mistake in college is I went straight from the pros and I even was still training uh, professionally while I was coaching the first two years, which was unbelievably difficult. And I wouldn't recommend that for anyone. If you're listening, who is a professional athlete and a coach at the same time, I wouldn't do it. Um, I, I just did it because I had an opportunity to come back near where I was from and still get to train. So that was kind of the main catalyst for me doing that. But yeah, it's, it's it's tough because really, you know, I, I what I did is I started and when I first went to I'm sorry, a lot of blabbering here, but I'm trying to line you're, thoughts you're, up. You're fine. Um, so when I when I left the professional ranks and went to to coach or even when I was still training, the reality is they don't move the meet day for you. You know, so like if you're sick, if you don't feel good, you stayed up all night, none of that stuff matters because you still have the meet tomorrow and you have to perform. And when you're a professional, like your livelihood depends on you performing. And there is no excuse. Like you could have the best excuse in the world. It could be totally true. Like, you know, and everyone else might have sympathy for you, but the meat doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, and the results don't. The results page is going to be the same no matter what. And then all people are going to see, I hate to say it, when they look at the results is the results. Um, and, and, you know, when I, when I got to college coaching, I was just a little too, I think I was a little too like, this is the way of the world you know, and we got to get up to that. And honestly, the longer that I was there, you know, I spent about three years college coaching, <clears throat> the more I, I was able to kind of funnel that in, especially with my younger athletes that had just came in, because I realized that even at the high school level, they'd really never been told this, you know. Yeah. And so it was like, how do I how do I bring that back to where instead of, you know, being like, this is the way of the world, this is how you have to do it, more like pushing them harder in the weight room, <clears throat> you know, pushing them pushing them hard, like a little harder at practice and slowly over time building that, you know, I, I don't want to say that character, you know, that character to be able to do it no matter what. And I'd have athletes that didn't sleep or, you know, stayed up all night studying or whatever like that. And I'd be like, okay, I sympathize with you. Should definitely go get some breakfast, you know, come back and let's do some training. Um, but like, you, you can't just miss the training. Like we got to get it. So just building some toughness in that regard, um, and I had sympathy. I mean, I, I had those nights in college where I'd stayed up all night studying or I wasn't feeling good or I was doing dumb stuff, you know, and I kind of didn't feel like. <laughs> and everybody, but, I can tell you exactly because <laughs> small, yeah. small side story here. Um, so when we were at Pittsburgh State, 
I got to the point where I was getting towards the end of my GA position and my, my lease was running out from my apartment. And, you know, I was like, well, I'm not going to stay here beyond this point. I'm not going to sign another year. Um, cause I was going to move on to the next position that I was going to go to. So yeah. luckily enough, Garrett allowed me to stay with him for, I don't know, was it two, three months or something like that? Um, yeah, it was so months. <clears throat> yeah. So he, you know, he had a house that was literally a block away from where my apartment was and, he was generous enough to let me stay there, you know, for those last couple of months. So that way I didn't have to pay for a whole year's contract. But I, I was able to see Garrett's patterns and habits on a daily basis. Yes. <laughs> we, I mean, you can remember the times where, you know, he's sleeping at like 11, 12 o'clock. He's getting up and that was his breakfast. And, you know, that's just at the time how you how you function. And, you know, myself and him had a, you know, a very long conversation, you know, about a week or so back and you know, what I, what I was telling you before, I was like, just to see your transformation from when I first met you in like 2016 to kind of where you are now and kind of how you handle business, whether it was as a, as a pro athlete or, or as a coach is like a night and day difference from, from there to now. Um, but again, like you said, every, and I actually, it's to a lot of my athletes, a lot of coaches, right. It just takes every athlete a different time to flip that switch when they're going to start making some of those changes. Um, and even if you have all the best coaches around you in the world, if you internally can't flip the switch to know you have to do X, Y, and Z because you have to, and it's not because it's the funnest thing to do. It's just, it's going to get you that next level. That's what has to be done. So kudos to you for, for, for eventually shifting towards that. But I've seen you where you've been at those lows and highs and I'm sure yeah. you can be well, a it, of that too. <laughs> what's, what's sad about that is that was actually the best that I was in 2016 is when I went on that run um, where I broke the national record and all that stuff. And and the only reason why that was, you know, that kind of came to be was I'd, I'd been training super hard for a couple of years by then, but in particularly that year, I went to bed at a similar time every night and I got up at a similar time. I'm not saying it was normal times for most people, but I was in bed by two and in my family, you know, we used to eat dinner. My dad would come back from training super late and he'd take a nap, you know, after he got back. Cause you're just, I mean, he's just dead tired, right? He'd wake up to eat dinner. So when I was in high school, I'm going down to eat dinner with him. Um, and it's 11, 12 o'clock at night. And it's just because he'd just woken up from that, you know, initial sleep. I mean, he'd come back from training so tired that he, like, I'm surprised he made the drive home. <laughs> like he was just yeah. exhausted. Um, so, you know, we did dinner super late and unfortunately, you know, that kind of just, stayed with me you know all the way through you know even that senior year and well that was um, your that was your in that case that was your pattern right yeah One, you, probably, you probably wanted to see dad when you woke up because you haven't seen him all day and then two like that's what you were consistently doing so then that just continued yeah, and that, over. that really that really became my circadian i was always a night owl to begin with but that kind of cemented my circadian rhythm pattern of kind of like that's when you're gonna like be up till that's when you know you're gonna go to bed around two and so that saved me all the way through college. It made college pretty difficult um, as far as getting the classes on time. But I made it through magic. I got a master's now. So somehow we did it. Um, <laughs> but somehow we did it. But uh, yeah, so that year, the biggest change that I made from the other years, like I was, I'd been training hard. I've been lifting hard. I've been going to practice. And, you know, I didn't really let excuses get in the way of me training, you know. So that was my big thing is I was, even when I messed up or I stayed up too late or whatever, I still made it to practice and I still put in the work. And that's like the baseline of being successful right there. You have to get there and do it. Um, but then show up. that's the key then, word to show up. Be, yeah. be be at least five ten minutes early and, and get there if you can do that that's half the battle oh it, it is and 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 when i was there i'd you know i'd work my butt off it was just getting there so making sure i got there but 
that that one year from my junior to senior year, I mean, I think I improved eight feet that year in shot. Um, the I can one the honest thing is I went to bed at a similar time and I got up at a similar time every day. Um, and that alone made me feel better. I had more energy. Um, you know, I was eating better at the time as well. I mean, compared to my previous years, I'm not saying it was amazing. I mean, you, you can witness it wasn't amazing by any means, but I was eating, you know, at a similar time for breakfast. I was eating at a similar time for lunch. I was eating at a similar time for dinner and just having that kind of routine and building, building that in. And that I just perfected that as I got older. And of course now, you know, I have to go to bed by nine 30 and get up by five o'clock. You know, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> but you know, just that, that takes time. And, you know, really it's, it stinks that my career got cut short, right? I had so many injuries training poorly before I figured out how to train right, which was part of the reason I wanted to become a coach was to save other athletes from having to go through the learning curve that I had to go through and take all the injuries and stuff before you figured it out. Cause I was my strongest and most explosive and fastest the year I retired, you know, I, but I had a hip injury and that was kind of it. You know, your hip's kind of a hard thing to come, <laughs> hard to get to get moving again. So yeah, especially the way you have to move in the ring, like if, if there's certain things that aren't up to par, you're not going to be able to transfer the power to, to be able to vault the shot as far as you want to go at the end of the day. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so that, that, you know, when that happened, that was kind of just the end of it. And I always knew that, you know, I could throw, you know, 21 is kind of what I hit multiple times and fouled it. So I kind of knew I could throw that. And I always wanted to get that one in. But yeah, at the end of the day, that even that started becoming not like, you know, they were throwing 22, 50, 23. I mean, we're talking the top two or three guys in the world here that are breaking the world record. Yeah, but I know. Still, you, you, I are, that's what I say now. If you're not throwing over like 21, like good luck, you're not going to make it. <laughs> you're not throwing over 22. There was uh, three or four guys at the last championship through 22 in the U.S. alone, which, by the way, would have been the world record like 10 years ago. I mean, so, I mean, 22 to 20, like 23, 15, but, you know, but 22 meters are basically unheard of. We'd have like one guy who was doing that every year. And then everyone else would be like 21, 50, 21, you know, and then the last like six years after Ryan Krauser and, and Joe Kovacs and Tom Walsh and all those guys kind of took over. You know, now they're throwing, you know, they're throwing 22 plus every meet. And now we got, uh, you know, a tune day who's one of my roommates at the training center. So shout out to him, man. He threw over 22 for the first time. Probably like it. That guy deserves it. Um, he was younger than me. <laughs> so had a little more. But, so no, that, what would you say is making that change now for throwers to throw so much farther? Is it just because it's, it's, there's better training, they're fueling themselves better, like better sleep. Like what, what have you seen is, has made the biggest difference? Like, if no one was barely touching it five, 10 years ago, but now you got guys that are just absolutely just shattering it the last couple of years. Like what's, what's the difference that they're doing? I would, now? Say, I would say optimization and nutrition and strength training have come a long way. Um, you know, as throwers, we kind of know, you know, once you get to the professional level, especially like we kind of know what we're supposed to be eating. Thanks to you guys. Appreciate it. Uh, you guys have kind of shown us the way of what we should be eating. So now it's a lot easier for us to, you know, gain strength and maintain it and just feel better training wise, just based off what we're eating. Um, and then on top of that, just understanding like the circadian rhythm, like, man, you got to sleep, like, you know, you got to get your recovery. I mean, you're losing, you know, 15 to 30% of your testosterone, you know, growth every night. If you're not, you know, if you're not going to sleep and like, that's, that's a huge chunk of your lift right there. You know, if you're not getting the most out of it, especially at the professional level, man, you gotta, you gotta get everything you got. You so, gotta, you gotta take advantage of every little piece that you can. And I mean, 15, 15 to 30%. That's, that's Some of these athletes don't understand, like you need eight to 10 hours. And it's like, as soon as you start getting under, under eight hours and you do that consecutive days in a row, like, it's not really a shock. You feel the way that you feel like, oh, and, and what I tell a lot of athletes too, it's your day is going to be determined based off of what you do the night before. 
and I, I've assessed, you know, hundreds of thousands of athletes. Right. And it just, it just becomes the same pattern over and over. Like you go to bed late, if you wake up too late, it's going to affect your mood. It's going to affect your appetite. It's going to affect whether you're going to eat breakfast or not. It's going to affect basically your whole fueling routine and what you do the entire day. And like, maybe you, you feel a little terrible in the morning, you feel better in the afternoon, but realistically, like you're probably not going to be at a hundred percent. So if, if you have five to seven days in a row and you're really only feeling 60, 70%, but then you got to be a professional athlete and give a hundred percent. Well, now you're missing out on 20, 30% every single day. So yeah. it adds up day after day, month after month. And it's like, sometimes until you put it into that big picture and I've had to literally write it out on a board and show people, then they're like, Oh, like I didn't, I didn't get that. Or I don't understand that until you showed me that. Yeah. And like, I mean, you just, I mean, I know we're taking the extreme at 30%, but let's just say you're losing 30%, right? I mean, 30% of your lift over the course of five days. I mean, that's, we're, we're 120%, you know, at least if you're lifting four days a week, mm-hmm. I mean, at least, you know, I lift four days out of five. So that's, that's where I'm going off of, but yeah, about 120% of your lift has just disappeared over the course of a week. And that's, that's not good, you know? And so I'm not saying you're not gaining something, but it's like, you could be gaining more. And then also the the recovery factor, the, you know, the reducing risk of injury of just sleeping enough is unbelievably like, there's so much evidence to back that up that you just need to go to bed. Um, and that'll dramatically reduce your risk of injury, which was my biggest thing, lower back, hip, you know, shoulder, right, all kind of stuff, which when you're throwing a 16 pound metal ball for as long as you are, man, that, that tends to happen, but and, re- and repetitively <laughs> many, I mean, I've thrown, you know, they, I don't know what they say makes you a master, but I've thrown well over 10,000 throws. So I have a pretty good idea of what's going on in that realm. And, and, uh, yeah. And then the last thing was just strength. Like, you know, like even Krauser, especially is kind of famous, you know, I got to live with, live and train with him for a year, but you know, he has, he has a family book. Like a lot of his family members were throwers and it's, I mean, it's a book like where it's thick, like, and it's, it looks, it looks like an old school book too. It looks like almost like, you know, like a, like a witch's spell book or something like that, you know, <laughs> a whole bunch of papers tattered together and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that has a lot of knowledge in it. And then obviously, like, you know, the fact that we're, you know, creating hybrid formulas now for lifting. I mean, I know that the lifting that I did at the training center that I was a huge fan of was a RPE tonnage system hybrid, which is just a hybrid between those two systems. And, you know, you know, back in the day, a lot of they were making those systems. And now we've now they're developed. Now we're like combining them to try to make them more efficient. And I feel like it's just made with 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 the nutrition education like people are eating better you know the sleeping education like we know we're supposed to be going to sleep even if we don't always pull it off like we understand like the importance of it which i feel like many people in the past just didn't understand that also um yeah just the strength training like we have those strength trainings like on par like we know how to rest people properly we know how to prevent overtraining we know how to get you just absolutely unbelievably strong in, in whatever time you're lifting. And we just understand periodization and cycling a lot better than we used to. And so you put all those together. And a key, a key thing there is, you know, you kept saying we know. And and the tough thing is we have all these professionals and, and support staff to help the athlete and, and they know what's best for them. But it comes down to the athlete to want to accept the help. And that's that always tends to be the, the, mo- the biggest challenge and, you know, maybe it's nutrition and like I'm the dietitian and like, they don't want to listen to me, but maybe that strength coach brother has a better relationship. And like, I can pass messages through the other individual to get to you because you, you respect that person better than me. So it's like, that's, that's always a tough thing. We have all this research and we can translate it into simple forms, but it's just like the athlete ultimately has to want to make the decision. Like, 
okay, here it is. What are you gonna do with it? That's the tough well, one. And that, and that was the that was the coolest thing I think about uh, you know doing the high high school coaching that I'm doing now is um in 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 this world you know it's just developing like I saw in college what was not being developed you know what I mean mm -hmm. like in in college I was getting the kids and like their high school coaches you know you know more power to those coaches I'm sure they were doing the best they could but the kids just weren't really like. They weren't able to handle a lot of like load training wise. They weren't able to, you know, they weren't, I'm not going to say that they weren't like physically in, like they were mentally into, they were into it. Like they wanted to train hard, but they just had never been pushed to the level that they needed to be pushed to in order to be successful at college. Um, and so when I, when I started coaching high school, it was awesome to kind of get to start from the, the very base, like in college, you know, you're kind of expecting people to be at a certain spot and you kind of need to get them not. going sometimes no but they're, but they're not <laughs> but the problem is you really need to get them going quickly because like your first college meet you know is in you know a couple months mm -hmm. like once you get to college i mean you you're competing against other college people and you're going to get absolutely smashed if we don't get this stuff in so quickly and you know that's hard and a lot of kids will want to quit and stuff and and you know that that's rough but at least like when i'm when i'm doing high school i can really start with like freshmen and slowly build them, build their character, build their workload, and, and yeah. just slowly be able to show them the way, um, kind of the way that I wish I could have been able to do it at college. And I think I've grown a lot too from coaching high school as well. It's like how to do that better. Yeah. Um, and if I, if I ever go back to college ranks, um, you know, that's some knowledge I'll definitely take with me is how to take someone who really is, hasn't been developed and, and develop them really from start to finish, um, you know, without, without making them want to quit, you know, cause I had, I mean, out of all my kids, I think I had, you know, I was coaching offensive defensive line just recently, and I think I had 30 or so freshmen and not one of them quit. So, yeah, it's, it's a humbling it's a, it's a humbling experience working with the 14 to 18 year old age group. Yes, because they come from all different backgrounds. They come from all different environments, you know, and that was the question I was going to ask kind of based off of that is like, why are you seeing a lot of these athletes not prepared coming into college? Is it just because? the environment or the coaches that we have now don't have the tools and education and aren't set up for success. So they can't translate that over to the athlete or is it, are you seeing it from the parent side where the parents don't have a lot of these general life skills to pass on to the kids. So then now if it's not you, they're probably never going to get it. Like, what are you seeing there? Well, that's kind of a loaded question, man. <laughs> it's a mixed bag. <laughs> I would I would say there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff kind of combined there. Um, like for like, I mean, I grew up in a household with a professional like baseball player. I mean, I kind of I knew what hard work was. I mean, it just took me a long time to get myself to being able to do that kind of work. Um, a lot of these kids have never even seen that, and and you know, I had a great you know, the, the head football coach I'm under now has done a terrific job of, um, you know, he's hard on the kids, but at the same time, he's not, he's not an asshole. <laughs> well, he and, probably knows when to, when to push and when to like pull back where you have some people that are like both extremes. You got the person that's a jerk 24 seven and you don't know what the difference is. And then you got the people that are way too soft and then the athletes are just rolling on top of them. Yeah, and, and to have that in between and be able to know when to throttle up and throttle down and when to do that, depending on the personality of the athlete is isn't easy. <laughs> well, and unfortunately, I would say it's almost, um, you know, I don't want people to get too mad at me for saying this, but I would say it's almost easier at the high school level 
to keep athletes going and engaged than at college because at college they you know they drop out like they're adults right they can drop out they can transfer you know they can you know they have options as far as like getting out of the situation they're in whereas in high school it's like you kind of have to go to high school and all your friends are there so it's almost like there's more motivation to keep the kids going in high school than there even is in college nowadays um and i and you know it's that's rough and then and also a lot of colleges have recruiting quotas and i've had to deal with that um and there's that's you know it's a business too i mean so i, I get that but at the same time you know some kids just simply would rather you know would rather quit than get better you know, like they would rather burn the whole building down than admit that they are not, you know, up to snuff. You know what I mean? And, and that's you know, where they, they just don't want to they don't want to be seen as, you know, weak or they don't want to be seen as a certain way in front of their friends. And that's that's where that I mean, which I'm sure you've seen across the board, the the sports psychology, the, the mental performance that's becoming a huge factor. And that's being broadcasted amongst lots of different professional athletes across many levels that go ahead well i was gonna say that's that's where that's why it's been so great going to the high school levels because um you know in college like i said your first meet is in a couple months i mean you really got to get going like you know you basically like you're you're ready to go like we got stuff to do like keep up or fall back i mean because you don't have you don't have options in college like i can't baby you because you're going to get smashed in this first meet and then you're going to want to quit and you're going to be embarrassed um it's like so you either better start working hard right away which is kind of like a punch in those kids mouths because like holy crap like what did i just like joined into yeah, it's hard yeah. to, it went zero to 100 real fast yeah and it's hard to retain kids that way and that's where the quota thing becomes kind of an issue because it's like you know we, like yes we need to we need to try to get the kids who who haven't been developed you know into being ready to be a college athlete but at the same time like their first meets in a couple months yeah. So like, you know, you don't want them to get beat up so bad that they want to quit like in their first college meet. So it's like, you know, trying to bridge that gap is is still very difficult. And, and many coaches, like even my coach to this day, who has gone down as multiple coach of the year, he has a hard time retaining kids through mm-hmm. that first, like, well, I mean, excuse my cussing, but that first ass whooping, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. that kids want to kids get through that and they want to quit and they don't want no part of it. And they, or they, or if it's awesome, you, they'll get their, they'll get their butt whooped and then they'll be like, wow, like I really need to train harder. So it kind of can go both ways. But that first couple months especially is the most vigorous. Usually if a kid makes it through that, you know, then they got a good shot to to make it through the rest of college. But I'd say that freshman year is such a, you know, a turbulent time. Um, it's, that fear, it's that fear of failure. You know, they don't want to like they, they, they've never had it again. If, if you let's say you're 16 years old and you've never been put in a position where you've ever had a fail and then now you're failing, you know, it, it it's not that person's fault. You just never been exposed to something like that. And like, until you have, it then becomes, you have two choices. I either quit because I don't like how this feels, or I don't like how this feels. And I'm going to do something about it to get better because I want to redeem myself or I want to help the team or whatever sport specifically it is and come out on the other side where we need to be. And that's, you know, in your head to be able to have that self-talk and tell yourself to make hopefully this decision on the right-hand side, which is, do the things that's going to make you be better isn't always the quickest and easiest thing because you also have then teammates, right. That are, Hey, quit with me. Or you have the other teammates who are going to say like, nah, come in here and work harder with me. So then you almost have that, what I call that herd approach. You know, some athletes will bring you down with them and some athletes are going to bring you up with them. It's which, which athletes or which friends do you want to go with? <laughs> well, and that's where captains are so important and having a team around you, you know, um, you know, making sure you're, I don't like the team voting captains thing at all. 
And I strongly advise against that because when you pick a captain, you want somebody that embodies the personality that you want to be on the team. Um, and you need to pick that. Like if he's a coach, like you need to, you need to pick that athlete that embodies commitment and dedication because you want that to be the example that you follow. You don't want to vote someone a captain who who isn't responsible, who do, who isn't showing up to practice all the time, who isn't putting in their effort. You know that's not somebody that you want to be your captain. And so I hate when people do those team voting things because I feel like it's just a, a good it's a popularity contest instead yeah. of like what do you want to be on the team. It's like, oh, hey, here's the quarterback. He plays safety. He plays quarterback. He's a five-star athlete. He's the best kid. But, yeah, he always shows up late. Like, that's not the example you set because now all the, everyone everyone underneath him who's following the supposed leader is now falling into the same trap and think what he's doing is okay. So then now you just have 50% of the team that does all the same stuff he's doing because he's the top guy or top girl, and they think that's fine. And now you're just creating a terrible culture and an environment that's – when you start getting into these hard, challenging games or situations, right? That's the athlete that's probably going to act out and do things that aren't going to help the team, which ends you end up losing. <laughs> yeah. And and sometimes those sometimes those kids need like a humbling, like you know they you you get you if you make the right person captain, you know the kids will see who's really more dedicated. Even if that kid is a five star athlete, like they're going to see and they're going to respect the person that's showing up every day. You know, even though they don't want to, like, they'll be like, well, he like he or she was here. So, you know, I came, you know, and like that, that's who you need. And then all of a sudden those five-star athletes start feeling kind of like pressured a little bit to like, man, maybe I should go to practice. Like, you know, they're working hard without me. And, you know, that's, it's, it's all you can do is build a culture and, and then hope it sticks. And, you know, and like going back way back to what we were talking about earlier, it's like, it's just so, so nice when I'm coaching high school to not have to worry about like, oh, in three months, you're going to get your butt kicked by guys, guys or girls that are four years older than you, you know, like, because when you go like freshmen are competing at seniors, like, so that's, yeah. that's a lot of, um, that's a lot of difference there. Where in high school, it's like, no, freshmen and sophomores are most likely competing against freshmen and sophomores. So let's, let's walk the freshmen through like, you know, what, what are, you know, how can I make your, your character a little better? How can I make your, your toughness a little better? How can I slowly work you into being, you know, an animal, <laughs> like teaching you how to do that. How, how do you deal with adversity? How do you deal with defeat? And yelling at kids is really never a good answer. The only time that I would ever advise yelling at a kid, and I really, and I, I, I rephrase this as not like yelling and cussing them out, but like if, if something's going on and you've been, you've, you've worked about it, you've talked about it and it's just an effort thing. Effort is the only thing that I really view as like something being yelled at because like you can control that. Like you can control your effort. Yeah. Like I had kids that would miss a block and it's like, it's all right, man. Like, hey, just move your feet. Like, that's, a, you know, but they were giving their best. That's the difference is like knowing when or when not to get on somebody, you know, because you want to make them tough. But at the same time, like if they did the right thing, you don't want to punish them by you ripping into them. You know, if he was giving his best trying to block this kid and you can see he was giving his absolute effort and he missed the block. Well, that's when you need to work on technique and try to figure out, like, how can you, you know, get him, put him in a better spot to succeed. But at the same time, if he's out there and he just lets a kid go back and crush your quarterback. Yeah, like that's one of those situations where you need to set an example and be like, look, like that is not going to be tolerated. You cannot just give up on a play like that and get your quarterback killed because your brother is now injured, yep. you know, yep. like. And guess what? You can't use I'm tired. You can't use all these excuses. It's like everybody, everybody on that field right now is tired. Everybody's trying to score a touchdown. But when you when you will out of that one or two plays, that's the difference where now either he's hurt, he fumbled the ball, he threw an interception like and that's where you – it's almost like you have to hit on those specific moments at those specific times to be able to get the point across for them to see it. 
Because otherwise, you can tell them about it multiple times, but it may just not get through. I mean, it's like some of the stuff with, with nutrition sometimes, right? Like, oh, I'm always feeling exhausted at practice. Okay, well, you didn't eat breakfast before you came in and had practice, or you slept six hours last night before you ate practice. And it's like until you catch them in that exposed state where they're feeling terrible or something didn't go well, it's like then that's where they, they can put two and two together. And then, oh, I got to change this and do this. And like, yep, that made a difference. And now that yep. became a positive. That came well, it, it's so easy in the weightlifting, especially like when I, I ran, you know, the strength part of that college program when it, when it came to throwing. Um, and it was so easy because the RPE system really reveals – I mean, that's, that's an effort, almost an, I, I don't want to call it an effort-based system, but it kind of is in regards to like every RPE number is a certain amount of effort that it should be. And once you, once you're in the system for a while, you really do understand how it's supposed to feel. And you can tell if a kid comes in and he didn't sleep that night or whatever, because he will get what, what should have been an eight RPE is now like he's, he's failing. And it's like, dude, this should have, you know, this should have been hard, but not like you shouldn't have been anywhere near failure. Like what was going on? And literally I can just walk up and not be like, Hey, like, did you go to bed last night? You know, did you eat? And it's always no, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, always, yeah. And so that's why I love that system so much, is because it's like, I mean, from an athlete perspective, it lets you know how difficult the day is supposed to be, and it also lets you adjust maxes without like having to go to failure, which I think is nice. But um, it also, as a coach, reveals how your athlete is doing. You know, like in the weight room, like you learn so much information just by watching them lift. Um, that was really helpful to me as a coach. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a new world out there. We gotta, we gotta get used to it. You know, I just remember like my, my college coach would call me all kinds of names that I can't repeat. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> now I'm trying to walk and I'm trying to walk kids through like how to get tougher, you know, it's just a different world out there, but it can be done. It can be done. Yeah. I mean, watching their body language and, and how they walk into the room, how they respond to you, like all that's pretty much going to tell you in a couple of seconds, like what type of day it's going to be for them. So then, so then it becomes right. Like, do I continue to crush them because I know they're feeling terrible or let me adjust a little bit. Cause I, they're coming in this manner, coming in this body language, they didn't sleep. So I may have to tweak and adjust something a little bit. And that's where that separates the really good coaches from the coaches. They're just like, I don't care. I'm going to punish them. It's like punish them for what? Like if you're punishing, yeah. how is that, how is that going to help them? Like you have to adjust and educate them and hopefully a better result comes going into the next day that makes them want to change. And then you get more out of them the next day. I think the easiest thing to do, especially, and it worked as I got older, when I know we, um, we don't have much time right now, but with, with the, the college stuff, especially, I mean, you have to, you have to work the kids into it and um, setting setting clear standards so that they could they knew what the rules were and, and you weren't just punishing them like they knew, like, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. So then it was less of a punishment and more of like, oh, man, I screwed up. And that's that's what you want to start building. Even in high school, you want to be like, this is the standards you need to like you need to be here or whatever. And here's the punishment if you don't. And then that, then it's instead of it being your fault for punishing them. You know, now it's like, oh, I knew the rule and I messed up anyway. And it's like, okay, well, there's there now you're starting to build accountability and toughness. Yeah. Like really, really easily. All right, guys. So we're gonna we're gonna cut it off here. We're gonna do a part two, um, because we have a lot more information we want to talk about. So stay tuned, listen to part two with me and Gear Apier. That's gonna be available very shortly after this episode. So continue to tune in.